Okay, let me try it again. How many of you love an underdog? All right, you root for an underdog. Don't you love to see that team that should not win, win in the last second of the game? Even if you're rooting for the other team, you go, you know what? They didn't have a chance. You know why I think we relate to that and why that makes us feel good is because all of us deep down feel like underdogs. There's a part of us that says, I wish I could just get a break. I wish I could just move forward in life. I wish I could have that comeback at the last minute of life. And I want you to know that God specializes in empowering people to make that final push into victory. And that final push can be the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the month, but it is what God does and does best. A few years ago, there was a movie that came out by the name of Rudy. Remember that movie? And here's this guy who should not be playing for Notre Dame. He really shouldn't. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. But he is persistent. He goes to a junior college so he can be close to Notre Dame. He starts sneaking in, sleeping in the, in the, uh, in the locker room just because he wants to be close. He becomes a water boy. And then finally, he somehow makes it to his senior year and is able to suit up for the last game. And uh, the coach doesn't want to play him. He really doesn't. And in that last minute, they're so far ahead, they decide to put Rudy in the game. So let's watch a clip, see what we think about Rudy.
You feel like a Rudy today? Makes you want to just kind of get fired up and uh, do something good for God and for yourself. Amen. It's not, uh, it's not the fight and the dog. It's the dog and the fight. Which one is it? Hey, if you have the right heart, you're going to win the day. Because your heart's going to be yielded to God and the power of God. And your desire to see the victory in your life, regardless what area it is, is going to win out when it's all said and done. See, when God put us together, he put us together in a partnership with himself. It's not about us sitting around, praying, waiting for God, and doing nothing. It's about us getting in the game, trusting God with everything, but doing our part in that partnership with God. Some people want to act like, well, you know, it's just kind of, you know, I, don't, I didn't do anything. If you didn't do anything, then nothing happened. Because that's not the way God made us. You see, you, you were created by a creator to be creative and to be empowered by his spirit to do great things for God. And when you allow the spirit of God to release and you put into that hard work, diligence, perseverance, and all the stuff that goes along with it, you're going to see some amazing things happen in your life. Here's some things that, uh, some observations I made about underdogs. Here's the first one. They live in a negative environment. You see, if you're an underdog, you're always been pushed down. You may have been pushed down your whole life. You may have been the kid that never succeeded or never succeeded at the level that you knew you were capable of. And so everyone who surrounded you probably were, you were surrounded with people who were negative telling you, you can't do this or you can't do that or, you know, you're never going to win at this or win at that. And so that's the environment that really kind of cultivates the heart of an underdog. Also, the underdog tends to be more passionate than the average person because they know deep down inside of them there's a fire. There's something that needs to be released wants to be released, will be released. They don't know when it's going to happen, but they know it's coming. But they tend to also remain positive even though the world around them may be collapsing. They're going to look at things and say, look what, look what is going on. A few years ago, I took a short stint and, and helped a guy out with his company. He was the most positive individual I ever met in my entire life. And he came to me and he said, hey, I want you to help me out just for a few months. And I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to be the CFO. And I started laughing. I said, I don't know anything about it. He said, oh, yeah, you do. You've, you've kind of done stuff with, uh, you know, church and all that. I just need some help. I need somebody I can trust till I can find somebody. I've got a great accountant, da-da-da-da-da, going all through the thing. I said, okay, I'll do it. About a month into it, I'm just looking at it, and I, it didn't take brilliance to figure it out. This guy was going south fast. And I went to him and I said, Brian, I said, you know, things don't look good. The books look bad. I mean, you're just spending money, not taking enough in. And he laughed. He goes, it's been worse. <laughs> I go, what? Yeah, it's been worse. He said, my house burned down. I was out of money, had to move my seven kids in with my parents. And he said, did that for about a year. He said, nothing can be worse than that. This is just gravy. 
And he was the underdog. He would, he, his world would collapse. And next thing you know, he was starting another company and it was in, running in the millions and millions of dollars in profit. And then it all would collapse again. But he remained positive even though the world was collapsing all around him. After I moved to the East Coast, he called me up and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing ministry. I'm doing work, what I always do. And he goes, do you think you could come back for a couple of months? I really need some help. I said, Brian, I just started laughing. Brian, you're the most positive man in the world. No. No, I'm not coming to work with you, but you know what he does for me? Every time I think about something that's going south, something that's negative, something that's difficult, I think about Brian. Because I don't care how bad the world is, Brian is up and positive, and he is a classic underdog. You see, the other choice is you can allow the environment around you, the, the things that happen that you don't think are fair, the people around you, that are, you can allow them to control you and crush you, and what good will it do? You'll just get a sour spirit. Your, your heart will be broken. You'll be angry. You'll be frustrated. And what to what end? What good does that do anyone? Turn it around and think about Brian. It's better than living with your parents and kids and losing everything because your house burned down. Oh, I forgot to tell you, he forgot to have insurance on his house. But he was positive. You're saying, oh, and he's going, it was great. All right. Let's go to an underdog in the Bible, the book of Judges, chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're going to find a guy by the name of Gideon. Gideon was a classic coward, underdog who was ready to make a comeback. He didn't know it. Nobody around it knew it except God. You see, if God knows that you've got something on the inside, he can bring it out. He just needs you to know what's on the inside so you can see that comeback come in your life. In the book of uh, Judges, it says in verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And everybody say, that's bad. That's bad. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. That's bad too. That's bad too. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. That's bad. Because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. So what did they do? They said, things are bad, so what am I going to do? I'm going to get into a cave, into a stronghold. I'm going to get into a hole and hide. You ever gotten in a hole and hid? Just think, oh, what am I going to do? There's nothing working in my life. There's nothing happening in my life. And everybody hates me. And there's pressure all around me. And, and, and I got three bad things, three bad strikes against me right there. You ever heard somebody say that? You tell them some bad news, you tell them two things, and they go, bad things come in threes. <laughs> oh, that's what I need to hear right now. Thank you very much for that information. That's, that's not helpful at all. All right, so they're hiding. In verse 3 it says, so it was whenever Israel had sown. So they go up, they take the seed. Remember, the seed is the life. It is the future of mankind. That's why there are very secure places in the world where they have a species, they have a variety of every seed on planet Earth. And they hide them because they know in case of a war where, where great areas of uh, mass land are destroyed, they can go there and they can start the world over again because seed is your life. In the Word of God, the seed is the Word of God. That's why it tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 13, when the sower went out to sow the seed, it says immediately, immediately the enemy came and tried to snatch up the seed. 
You see, when the word of God gets into your life, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to take it out of your life because he knows your future is found in the word of God, not in your circumstances, not in your friends, not in your job. It's found in the word of God that's eternal, lives, and abides forever. So here it says they, they, they waited. They saw it when they got ready to sow the seed because they wanted to destroy them. Just like the enemy, Jesus said that the enemy comes to kill and to destroy. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. The enemy wants to do that. It says the Midianites would come also, and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. So everyone was coming against Israel. Things have not changed a lot, have they? Monday night, we're going to have... Uh, Sergeant Benjamin Anthony with us from the Israeli uh, Defense Force, and he's going to be sharing with you about what's going on in the Middle East. I just got news that he's bringing his brother, who is a trained cantor in the synagogue in Jerusalem and uh, a trained operatic singer. It's going to be an amazing night. Be there 7 o'clock in our new building. But, uh, and also, while we're thinking about it, this is the birthday of the U.S. Marine Corps, and we're celebrating and remembering veterans. So if you're a veteran, would you stand up so we can give you a round of applause? Thank you for your service. God bless you, everyone. Verse 4, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come with their livestock, with their tents, coming in as numerous as the locust. You can imagine how Gideon must have felt. No wonder he hid in a cave. All these invading armies were coming in, and it looked up, it just looked like they were, they were invading like a swarm of locusts were coming up against him. And you know, the Bible says there's all different kinds of locusts. Some of them are the chewing locusts, and some are the gnawing, some are the hopping, and some are the flying. And you know, life is kind of like that. Sometimes you get surrounded, you feel like you're just being chewed up and spit out. Sometimes you feel like everything's flying at you. Sometimes you feel like it's just you hop from one problem to another problem. And you see, that's how Gideon felt. So we can identify with Gideon. They were coming in as locusts. Both they, their camels, were without number. And they would enter the land for one purpose, to destroy it. They wanted to destroy the ground. That way they destroyed the future. The enemy wants to destroy your foundation. The foundation of your faith, the foundation of your family, the foundation of everything you hold dear, the enemy wants to destroy, so he takes away your future. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, it had been seven years, seven years that they had been doing this routine. Seven in the Bible is a number of completion. And it says, finally, they cried out to the Lord. Eight is a number of new beginnings. And so all of a sudden, God is going to bring a new beginning to this nation. He's going to raise up the most unlikely guy, a guy named Gideon, to lead them to triumph. And it tells us in verse 7, it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. And God asked us, when are you going to cry out? When are you going to get really serious in your prayer life, really serious in your faith, really serious in your walk with God and say, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got to move beyond where I am and I got to trust in God Almighty. 
When we come to that point, God knows we're serious, God takes it seriously, and God begins to move in our life. But we've got to put away, we've got to get out of the cave. We've got to put some things behind us if we're going to do that. And it says here in verse 8 that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel to say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt. I brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hands of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. In other words, don't fear the Amorites of your day, influence church. Don't fear the things that you read, the things that you hear. Do not fear the gods of despair, discouragement, and defeat. Listen to God. He says, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. We live, we dwell in a land that is filled with Amorites, if you will. Midianites and Canaanites and people who don't love God. But don't fear. God is bigger than all of that. But you have not obeyed my voice. See, the real issue was, for Israel, they hadn't obeyed God. It wasn't where they lived. It wasn't their circumstances. It wasn't the people that they lived around, worked with, did social things with. It was that they hadn't obeyed God. They hadn't trusted God. Now, the angel of the Lord, it says in verse 11, shows up. He came and said unto the terebinth tree. Anybody ever seen a terebinth tree? Nobody ever seen one? I haven't either. Not even sure I pronounced it right. Which was in Oprah. That's not Oprah on TV. That's a different Oprah altogether. That's where she got her start, though, back over there under the terebinth tree. You know, everybody has a, has a place where they get discovered. You know, Bono got discovered over in a park in Ireland, and they found him, and Oprah got discovered in the terebinth tree. And it says, which belonged to Joas, the Abiziite. Now, don't you love these names? I mean, think about it. We got Terebinth, we got Oprah, we got the Abiziite, and we got Hotsenpeller. <laughs> it says, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press. Now, this is really interesting. You're not supposed to thresh wheat in a wine press. You're supposed to do it out in the open because all that chaff that comes off of it makes like a dust storm. You can't hardly breathe. And here he is in this small wine press and he's beating out the wheat. He's threshing it. And why is he doing it? Because he's scared. Let's say that together. He's what? He's scared. That's why he's doing it. It's the same reason why you go into hiding. It's the same reason why you blame God for something in your life because you're scared. And the opposite of fear is what? Faith. When you have faith driving you and moving you and energizing you, fear diminishes because now you trust in God. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We want to be bold like lions, amen? And it says they're down here. Now, now what's really interesting too is wheat, remember, seed is a picture of the word of God. And wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's surrounded by the Word and by the Spirit of God in this situation in fear. And God says everything you need is right in front of you. The Word and the Spirit, God's saying the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to me. Everything you need is right in front of you. You have the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Now act on what you have. 
Live out what you have in order to hide from the Midianites. That's why he's down there. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor? Are you kidding me? This guy is a coward, isn't he? He was by what everyone else saw. He probably was by what he saw in himself, but God saw something different in him. God sees something different in each one of you. You see what you see, but that doesn't mean it's real. How many times have you heard people say, well, I just have to, I have to be realistic about this. Why? Where in the Bible does it say, go be realistic? You know where you got that? You got that out of the English Enlightenment. When rationalism entered into the world and all of a sudden everybody says, everything has to be realistic, everything has to be rational. Let me tell you, there is nothing realistic or rational about Jesus rising from the dead. If you're waiting to be realistic and rational, then you have to throw Christianity completely out the window because that's not either of those two things. There is nothing realistic or rational about God creating the world and spinning it into existence by the word of his power. That is not either one of those things. We don't live by the natural world and its guidance. We live by the supernatural world. We believe God is bigger than the natural world we find ourselves in, the confines of the, real, the, the rationalistic and the, and the enlightenment that has come upon our world. It's big. God is bigger than that, amen? And when God looks in you and he says, you are a mighty man or woman of valor, then accept it. Then you start living it out. You see, we tend to live out the prophecy we think is true about us. If we think we're dumb, then we act dumb. If we think we're stupid, we act stupid. If we think we can't, we can't. As a man thinks in his heart, the book of Proverbs says, so is he. How do you see yourself? How do you live out the destiny that God has given you and the purpose that God has given you? Oh, mighty man of valor. I'm sure Gideon looked around in that wine press and said, there must be a mistake. I think angel of the Lord, you're knocking at the wrong door. Try next door, Gideon 2. That's where it is. Gideon said to him, O Lord my God, if God is with us, listen to this, I love this, if God is with us, then why has all this happened to us? I think it's a fair question. Why are bad things happening if you're with us? We're going to answer that a little bit later. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? He's going to regret he asked this. Because God's going to allow him to assemble an army of about 32,000 men and reduce it down to 300. You see, rationalistic mind, realistic minds would say an army of 32,000 is better than an army of 300, right? But see, that's not how God works. God doesn't work like that. God works in a different kind of a way. So it says, all right, but now the Lord has forsaken us, delivered us into the hands of the Midianites, and everybody said, oh, ready? Everybody said, oh, poor Gideon. There he is crying. Nobody likes me. I have to hide in a cave. You kind of feel sorry for the guy because it's kind of like us, right? You've ever felt like that? You don't have to raise your hands, but we have felt like that. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel. This might of mine? Are you kidding me? Look, anybody that can thresh out wheat in a wine press is doing pretty good. That's not an easy task. If you can do that, you can do what I'm telling you. And he says, you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Seriously? God? 
How many times have you had a seriously God talk? God, I, I'm, I'm serious, God. I mean, you really want me to do this? How am I going to make it through that? Let's talk about the hero's journey. The hero's journey is inspiring. There's nobody a hero until after the fact. You don't get a badge when you're born, said you're a hero, go forward. Verse 3, it says, so whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites, the people of the east would come up, and they would take the word. They would take the seed. If you're going to be a hero for God, you're going to have to live out your life in the word of the living God. You're going to have to go back to that word. You're going to have to read it. You're going to have to learn it. You're going to have to memorize it. You're going to have to bring it into your life because when the pressure comes, you want to be able to react from the word of God. Because you see, here's the truth. Heroes are not born. They rise to the occasion. How many times have you read those inspiring stories about war heroes who were nothing significant in terms of their ability, but something snapped inside of them in the middle of battle? They looked around and they said, I have to do something. Somebody has to act in this situation. And when it's all said and done and they want to decorate them and honor them, they go, look, I'm nobody. Because they didn't go into battle saying, I'm going to win a great decoration. I'm going to be a hero. They went in doing what they're supposed to do, being faithful and persistent. And when something, uh, the right situation arose, they rose to the occasion, snapped into position, and became what we remember as a hero. Remember this second idea, that is that great things come from small beginnings. Can I remind you that Jesus wasn't born in Rome or London. He wasn't born in any significant city. He was born in the most insignificant place at that particular time. But great things come from that. It's like Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, despise not the day of small beginnings. Don't look at what you have and think, that's all I have. Think, wow, look what God can do with a little. Look what God can do with great. I love that story of Mother Teresa when she went to her superiors and she wanted to start an orphanage. And they said, Mother Teresa, you have no money. How are you going to start an orphanage? And she says, I have a couple of pennies. And they laughed at her. And they said, Mother Teresa, with two pennies, you can't do anything. She said, with two pennies in God, I can do everything. And the only explanation for her life and your life is you take the little bit you have and you say, let me see what God can do with that little thing that I have if I really trust in him. There is something also inside of us. Everyone longs to be a hero. We just don't know how to get there. We don't know. Can I tell you, you can't predict the moment when that's going to happen. You can't predict when the underdog is going to rise to the occasion. But if you, if you have a good heart and you have a sensitive heart and you're looking around you for what's happening in your world and you say, God, I just want to be faithful to the word. I want to walk in the spirit of God. You're going to see God do some great things. An invasion of God is an impossible situation comes through his people who fear God and it's released through mankind. Let God release himself. Second thing, you can't have a comeback unless you have a setback. It only makes sense, doesn't it? Gideon threshed wheat on the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. The wheat, the word of God, he hid the word from the enemy. Do you realize that? The enemy's going to steal the word, so I'm going to hide it from him instead of use it against him. You have the word of God. Use it in your situation. 
Tammy referred to an interview I had with the Orange County Register this week, and it was over an hour long. I was really surprised. It's kind of been one of those developing stories that, that God seems to be kind of in. And so we're in the middle of kind of finishing that up, and, and as I was talking, I said to her, I said, uh, can I tell you my story about how I became a Christian? Which really is sharing a pers- with a person how they can become a Christian. And I began to tell the story, and I, began to, I even said, and I prayed a prayer like this one, Dear Lord Jesus, I don't even know if you love me. This is literally what I prayed. I remember it so well. I don't even know if you can hear me or want to hear me. But I believe what I've been reading in the Bible. I believe that Jesus died and he rose from the dead to give me eternal life, and I would like to have that eternal life. And I, and I said to her, I didn't hear any angel wings or heavenly whistles. I went and looked in the mirror, and I looked just the same as I did before I prayed. But something changed on the inside of me. Something began to work inside of me to bring about a revolution, a change of heart. And as we walked out, she said, you know, I'm going to come to the grand opening. We got out on the front, and I said, would you mind if I prayed for you? And there I am in front of the post office, people coming in and out, and I'm praying for the reporter for the, Reg- the Orange County Register. I don't know what comes of that. I just know I have to be faithful with whatever opportunity God gives me in whatever situation I find myself in. There was something in me that said, don't do this. This is not rational. Get the interview. You might blow the whole deal. She may think you're a Bible thumper and a Jesus freak. I am. (laughs) She may think I'm brainwashed. I am. My brain needed a good washing. How about yours? I think a lot of bad stuff. You've got to scrub it up once in a while. Amen? (laughs) Brainwashed for Jesus. I love being brainwashed for Jesus. Defeat is the foundation for victory. If you've never been defeated, you don't know what victory is because you haven't had a comeback yet. You've got to get back in that game. I love this thought. When you are down, up is your only option. Have you ever thought about like that? Man, I'm as low as I can get. If I get one inch off the ground, I'm feeling good. Now, you may feel like you're jump roping underneath the bed right now and you're so low, but I'm telling you, it is the foundation for getting up and getting on with God, Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5 says this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from who? From God. It's not that I'm all great. I'm just saying, God, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'll give you my mind. I'll give you my body. I'll give you my time. I'll give you my persistence. I'll give you everything, God. But I know ultimately you're going to have to take all of that and you're going to have to just be magnified in me and pushing me forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, it says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If his strength is made perfect in weakness, if I don't have weakness and I have human strength, then what am I going to get? I'm not going to get perfection of his grace, of his power, of his strength. God likes it when I'm not having fun. Because then he can bring joy. Woe unto them who thinks he stands. 
When you think all is well, be careful. When you say, I got, man, I got, the, I got it working out in my life. Oh, yeah, God says, let me, let me show you a little bit about real life. I'm going to get you down here in the, in the, in the, in the trenches. I'm going to get you down here in the, in the dirt, down in the valley a little bit. And I'm going to teach you what it means to be a God-fearing man or woman. You know, when you said one day in your life, if you've said this, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will follow you. God took you serious and he saved you and he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life and he gave you an eternal destiny and he gave you a position in his kingdom and he's now in charge of shaping your life so that you look more and more like Jesus every day of your life. Do you think that's going to be easy? I read a story one time about General Jackson down there in Atlanta where they have that, that big marble of him sitting on the horse and it's just just giant piece of marble, just one piece, and there's a whole horse, and there's, a, and there's Jackson sitting on the top of this horse. I'm reading about it, and they, they asked the guy who did the work, they said, well, how did you do that? He said, I just chiseled away everything that didn't look like General Jackson or a horse. <laughs> well, that's what God does with you. He just chiseled away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Little by little, it gets a little there, a little there. Never feels good to be chiseled on, does it? By God. Or anybody else, I'll say. He says, my strength is made perfect, therefore most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. All right, look at this next thought. You and God are majority. Here's the questions. God, the two questions, why and where? Judges 6.13, Gideon said, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us and where are all his miracles which our fathers told about? You want to see a miracle? Gideon, I'm going to give you a miracle. And if you read uh, Judges chapter 6, you're going to see how, how he keeps testing God. And he says, oh, God, if you show up, then I'm going to put the, out this fleece and, and all of that. And so finally, he's kind of got the idea that maybe God can work some miracles. Little did he know God was using the fleece to get him ready for the really big stuff. His confidence was building as he saw God work in the little things. Can I tell you the way you build your faith is realize that Look at the little things. Instead of focusing on the big things you want to see God do, what is God doing in your life right now? And if you see God doing stuff in your life right now, then say, okay, well, if God can do that, he can do this. And you start to get the eyes of faith to see what God is really up to in your world. Really up to in your world. And then the way that God responds. So said, then the Lord said unto him, uh, and go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? When you get a clear yes from God, move forward. Well, what if it doesn't work? So, move forward. God loves to see us move forward. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God is always moving. He's never static. He's never stagnant. Always moving, always moving. I love it when Moses is leading the people out of the land of Egypt and he brings them down to the water and he turns to God and the Egyptians are coming on the, on the heels there of that, of that uh, Red Sea and he cries to God, oh God, the people aren't happy. They're crying, they're moaning, they're complaining, they're grumbling against me. And I love what God says. Tell the people to go forward. Just go forward. Why are you standing around? Go forward. Why are you waiting for God? Go forward. Say it with me. Go forward. Go forward. Quit going backwards. You see, the, I love the motto of the French Foreign Legion. 
It says, if I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. You realize when you look at the armor of God in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, there is nothing to cover your back? Don't run from your problem. Face your problem. Face it in the power of God. Whatever it is, whatever your obstacle is, say, God is able. Say that with me. God is able. God is able. God allowed him to step into his destiny. You know, when you move forward, you step into your destiny. You step into what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. And also, you understand that the real bondage was not Midian. Your real problem is not your problem. Your real problem is not your job or lack of your job. Your real problem is not the circumstances you find yourself in. Your real problem's on the inside. What are you going to do with what's on the inside? That's where the real problem is. When you get a handle on that, then everything else becomes smaller. That's where you've got to look. Things that discourage you are the areas where, where you rely on your own strength and not on God's strength. Did you hear that? The things that frustrate you, the things that make you mad, the things that discourage you and defeat you. You know all that is is just pointing out what you're trying to do in your own strength. It's quiet and stuff like that's being said, right? Because you want to blame somebody. When you point your finger at somebody, remember there's three fingers pointing back at you. Everybody got something in their pocket? Reach in your pocket purse. Get out a nickel, a dime, a quarter, anything. All I got is my cell phone here. In case you text me during the service, I want to be ready. In case God starts using this technology, I want to be ready. Yes, here I am, Lord, send me. Okay, take it. Just hold it out in front of you right now. Anything. You can use your thumb if you can't find anything else. All right? Ladies, notice your nails need to be done. All right, you got it? <laughs> got it? Hold it out in front of you. Can you see it? Does it look pretty good? Now just slowly bring it in. Close one eye. Bring it in. Looking at it. Looking at it. What do you see? Nothing. You can't see nothing when you get it that close. Somebody just text me. <laughs> Hi, Dale. Thanks for the text, brother. You can't see anything when you get so close to your problems. you got to get it out and get a divine perspective on it. Push away from the problem and see it from God's perspective. They're coming in like crazy right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that one was from God. He told me to preach until 1130. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and 10, look what it says. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know what the treasure is? It's Jesus. You know what the earthen vessel is? That's you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side. Oh, Paul didn't have it made just because he was an apostle. I'm hard-pressed on every side. He said, yet I'm not crushed. Not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. In other words, you know what? I'm just going to follow Jesus. 
Just follow Jesus. Love Jesus. He'll take care of it. I'll do my part. I'll work hard. I'll persevere. I'll stay in the trenches, God, but I know ultimately you're going to come through when I'm totally committed in serving you. You see, what happened when Jesus came? He came to fill the gap of what we can't. He came to be our all in all. He came to be our strength and our refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. Love literally came down and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. And when you move into that sphere of His glory, when you move in, you have an awareness of His presence, you'll be surprised what God will do in your life. If you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to do so. Consider the claims of Christ. Consider what He said. That He loved you enough to die on the cross from you because you and I are far from God because of our sin. And until we confess our sin to him and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died, was buried, and rose from the dead to give us eternal life, we have no life. No man comes to the heavenly Father except by the Son, by the Spirit of God who draws him or her unto the Father. That drawing of the Spirit is that feeling in your heart where you go, I need to be close to God. I need to know God. I need to know that I'm saved. I want you all to know that whether you're here in this auditorium or one of the other two auditoriums, whether you're watching by live stream or you're in Abu Dhabi or in Big Bear, wherever you are, I want you to know that truth and then receive it. And if you've received it, then step into your destiny just like Gideon and live out the plan that God has for your life. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we believe that Jesus is the only answer. It's only Jesus that gives us the power and the strength to be what you've called us to be. And I pray, God, that as we sing and as we hear this song, God, the words will resonate as the Word of God resonates with our very heart. We'll understand that, that even though we live in a loveless world, in a, in a world that's not very thankful at times, a world that wants to push us to be rationalistic and realistic, God, we know we have to be supernatural. We have to live in the power of the Spirit of God. And so, God, as love comes down right now, just we, we just invite you, Spirit of God, to fill this place and be magnified and be glorified in everything that you do, God. And we love you, and we just sing before you, and we acknowledge you, Jesus. Love came down.